I just want to say good morning, everybody. Morning, Rick. Um, Rick. Can you hear me? I did see someone go like this. Um, can you hear me? Turn the mic on. It is on. It is. Hello. Okay, just let me. Will that help any? Yes, sounds like it might help a little bit. Yeah, very good. All right, now I can't see my notes because I got this big black thing in the way. Never mind. Uh, uh, good morning, everybody, and uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Rick. I know that many of you will probably call me Bishop, but I much prefer you call me Rick. Um, that's what my mother christened me, so you can dispense with the Bishop tag. Uh, if you call me Bishop, I'll assume that you're actually after something. That's usually what happens. Okay? Um, so that'll immediately put me in work mode, but if you just want to talk to me as a friend, Rick would be good. Uh, thank you for having me, uh, and um, Adam, thanks for the invitation. Pleasure. It's good to be here. I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray that I speak well and that you listen well, because the alternative for both of us is the pits. Right? Bad speaking is rotten, and bad listening makes me waste my time. Yeah. Okay? So let's pray that we do both really well this morning. Our Heavenly Father... We do thank you for the privilege of sitting uh, in church together as a community of uh, people who love you. We pray that we would indeed love one another this morning properly. We thank you for your word and we ask, Lord, that it would enrich our lives this morning. Please help me to speak clearly from it. And please help us all to listen to it and uh, surrender our wills to you and your word that we might please you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. There is no joy where there is no truth. The absence of truth in a marriage or lack of it between parent and child is a joy killer. Is it not? I'm on... We on a level playing field there? Yeah? Well, if he gets nothing else right, at least we've agreed with that, haven't we? False advertising is a joy ruiner. You know those great things you want to buy, you think that they're going to solve every problem that you have in the garage or whatever, or in the kitchen, and they don't live up to expectation. I bought a sharpener, a knife sharpener, for Janine for her birthday. We, I, I'm a knife sharpening expert when it comes to buying knife sharpeners. Uh, we have dozens of knife sharpeners, none of them have ever worked. But I was in the shop buying Janine a knife for the kitchen and the lady said, you want a knife sharpener? I said, does it work? She said, these are the best things on the planet. So I bought one and when I got it home it was broke. So there you go, no success. It's a joy ruiner really. There is no joy where there is no truth, which has verse 4 of the opening chapter of the first letter of John, catch my eye. You've got your Bibles open there, verse 4. That's what it says. We write this to make our joy complete. It's an odd statement for a number of reasons. For a start, joy is a word not often used anymore. And less and less is it being experienced within our culture. But it's odd in the historical moment of verse 4 because it seems the Apostle John 
writes for his own joy. There are plenty of people who sell me products that I think will bring me joy, but bring them a whole lot more joy than they bought for me, like knife sharpeners. And here is John, who writes, it seems, for his own joy. But don't be misled here, because the beauty of this statement's oddness is the completion of joy is in our inclusion in it. See, John writes this to make our joy complete, meaning his and the other apostles. And how is his joy complete? His joy becomes complete when others enter into the same joy. John's joy would not be complete if we were absent from sharing in it. Now this letter is not without great theological moment, and hopefully over the weeks ahead we'll look at some of those. But by way of introduction, I want to tell you that my son Jacob wrote a letter to his grandfather a while ago now. His pa is really not well, and that includes spiritually which concerns all his Christian grandchildren very deeply. Now, I don't know exactly what Jake wrote. Um, I wasn't privy to seeing it, but I know he encouraged his pa to be right with Jesus. And he challenged his pa to not be led astray from Christ by all the false claims that his pa had encountered in this world over 88 years of life. Now, I'm certain that the letter was written from the heart of a grandson who wants nothing to prevent his pa from the joy that is in Christ Jesus. He wants nothing to keep his pa from the joy of being in Christ Jesus. And very cleverly, and I didn't realise my son was this clever, what he did was he gave the letter to his grandmother so that she would read it to his part, meaning that both of them would hear it. That's clever, isn't it? Don't you think? Now, I think we could all write more letters to our loved ones about our joy in Christ, and I would encourage you to do that. Gentle ones, loving ones, put pen to paper. Let them know about your joy and your desire to have them experience that joy. And as we open our Bibles to 1 John, this is what John is doing. He's writing to those he loves with a deep desire for them to know the joy that is in Christ Jesus. However, John is not writing to convince people to become Christians, but actually to assure those who are already Christians that they are right to stick with Jesus Christ. He writes at the very end of, the, of his letter saying, I write these things to you so that you may know you have eternal life. In John's Gospel, he writes at the very end, he said, I've written these things to you that you may know that Jesus is the Christ and by believing in him, you can have eternal life. So he writes in one sense to a group of people so that they might believe. This letter, he writes to encourage you to stick with Jesus. Alright? No matter what. So why does John write? Because the love of this apostle 
like the love of a grandson, is concerned that nothing steals away your joy in Jesus. You know those moments when someone says something to you and it sticks? You know those moments? And it sticks and you just never forget it? Like the day your wife said for the first time, I love you, which wasn't my wife when she said that, of course. Um, you don't wait till you get married till your wife says, I love you for the first time. And that was a bit silly, wasn't it? Um, but there are words that stick, aren't there? And joy is a word that captures John's attention. When Jesus used it, John never forgot it. And he recorded it in the gospel biography of Jesus' life, John's gospel. Listen to Jesus for a moment. Just hear what he's got to say. This is Jesus, John 15, verse 11. Jesus says, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Does that sound familiar? That's verse 4 of chapter 1 of John. In chapter 16, Jesus says, Until now you have asked me for nothing in my name, Ask and you will receive, so that your joy may be complete. Got it? Again, in chapter 17, verse 13, as Jesus is praying before he goes to the cross on which he will die, he says, Now I am coming to you, that is, to the Father in heaven, and I speak these things in the world, so that they may have my joy complete in them. What was the desire of Jesus? That his joy might be complete in you. That word joy filled the mind of John, as you can see from his letter. And here in 1 John 1 verse 4, uh, you'll, it, it, it's there in print. But John wrote a whole range of material in the New Testament. He wrote the Gospel. He wrote his first letter. He concludes his second letter like this. The second letter of John, he concludes like this. I hope to visit you and talk with you face to face so that our joy may be complete. And then in the third letter, he says to his dear friend Gaius, he says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. What is John's joy? That God's children are walking in the truth. That Jesus' joy is in them. In John's Gospel, he writes like my Jake to people so that grandfathers, grandmothers and all sorts of people may know that Jesus is the Christ and enter into God's given joy. That Gospel is encouraging. It's purposefully evangelistic. And that is, he writes to introduce people to Jesus who is the source of joy in John's Gospel. In John's first letter, in, this, in chapter 5, he writes, Unlike my son, to Christians, so that we may know that we have eternal life. The letter is encouraging, like the Gospel. It's purposeful, like the Gospel, but its purpose is to assure you that you should stick with Jesus because John is wanting to help us home to heaven. If we take John's Gospel and John's letters and we put them together, say we mesh them together to, today, we 
put them side by side and started making a comparison, we would learn that complete joy, complete joy, is in knowing that Jesus is the Christ and that in fellowship with Jesus Christ, we have assurance of eternal life. Of course, there is no joy where there is no truth. So it should not surprise us that John should start his letter by way of an appeal to the truth. So let's talk joy and let's talk truth. As we notice the Apostle's claim here in the opening three verses, as opposed to the false claims that others will make throughout the letter. These verses lay out the big facts set scene for the whole of this letter and for our complete joy. And if you're wondering about my theme over the next three, over the three weeks that I'm with you, I'm wanting to look at joy. Okay? Um, not happiness. I'm wanting us to look at joy. Deep-seated God-given joy. It's often missing, strangely enough, in churches. Sadly, I, I, I just come to churches all over the place. I don't come to Inverell. It may not be missing here, but I travel to churches all over the place. And I've got to say, sometimes Christians seem to me to be the most joyless people in the world. That's tragedy. It's a shocking tragedy and one we should weep over. And when we lack our joy in Christ, you know what we do? We beat each other up in our lovelessness. But when we are filled with the joy of Christ and adore Him, flowing out of that adoration is a love for one another. It's just extraordinary. Oh, that all our churches get back to that age. The really important action word, of course, in these three verses is the little verb proclaim. It shows up a couple of times in the opening three verses. Did you see it? And with any proclamation, the content is crucial. So let's begin in verse 1. You say, that's the beginning? We're going to begin now? How long is he going to go for it? All right, relax. You know, pulpits are a place for proclamation. But uh, just a... With just four verses, this preacher needs to be very careful that he doesn't say too much. I, I read of an inscription on an old pulpit that said, Stand up, speak the truth, sit down. One of the preachers in that pulpit was fishing for a compliment from his wife after a sermon on one particular Sunday, to which he replied, It was not bad, but you did miss several opportunities to sit down. <laughs> Hopefully I won't miss that opportunity. But verse 1, you got your Bibles there? Verse 1, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. Verse 1, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. We live in a world today full of people who make claims. But the first thing to notice here is that the Apostle claims to be an eye, ear and touch witness to him who was from the beginning. The language is a little odd again. It doesn't begin with the human, him who was from the beginning, but rather that which was from the beginning. And I'm not sure 
it really matters. But I think what John is referring to is two things here. He's talking about that which was from the beginning, the gospel, and he's speaking about the content of that gospel, which is Jesus Christ. And in a very helpful way, he brings them both together so that there is no disconnect between the good news of the gospel and Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ is the gospel. And so when people come to you with other gospels that don't actually glorify Jesus Christ, they are no gospel at all. And John will have to deal with people like that in his letter. But while the language is a little odd, it's unsurprisingly reminiscent, isn't it? And I'm glad we had the John 1 passage read to us. Because in John's Gospel we read, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. And that language in John 1 is very reminiscent of language going even further back, isn't it? Of Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now John is an eye, ear and touch witness to that which was from the beginning. And who is he? He is the Word, but he's the Word of what? He is the Word of life. So as we reminisce it, it's di- through the scriptures, it's difficult to think, I think, of a bigger opening line with which John commences his letter. John is introducing us to Jesus who was with God from before creation, involved in creation's beginning, and was, is, and always will be the word of life. Life is in Jesus' hands. Now I prayed with someone earlier this week whose friend had found her birth parents and siblings. It's a great moment, isn't it, for most people to discover you've got birth parents who you can actually find, discover and get to know. I know that um, such a find doesn't always come with a happy ending, but for this particular woman, it came with a very happy ending. Her origins brought understanding and meaning for her. Right? That's a good thing, isn't it? It explained so much, and it offered her so much more. But can I say, that is a very weak illustration of the treasure it is to discover the God who made you and breathed life into you. To know that you're not just some piece of matter that's just floating around in some infinite existence, but one that God made deliberately and gave purpose and meaning to. It explains so much and it delivers to us so much more. In verse 2, the word of life, this word of life appeared, and John proclaimed him the eternal life. Did you notice that? 
Now, I know people who deny the existence of God. There are plenty of them. But it's a little difficult to dismiss God when he shows up, isn't it? Don't you think? And not just in someone's vision. There are plenty of people who claim visions of God. Some of them, I think, probably are real visions of God. The Bible's got people who have visions of God. In Muslim countries, some Muslims who've become Christians have said they were moved to become Christians by a vision that they had of God. I don't deny visions, but this was more than a vision. But it was a 33-year incarnation of the life of God himself in the person of Jesus Christ. He shows up. And even beyond his death, he's seen many times post his resurrection. A friend of mine told me that a British comedian, Eddie Izzard, recently said, if there is life after death, it would be nice if just one person came back to let us know. <laughs> Hello, he said. What about Easter? Every year. My friend went on to speak about Clive James, who was asked if he believed in God. This was his response. There cannot be a God because he would impact our history in an unforgettable way. <laughs> to which he responds again, Hello, and I'm hoping you don't miss my point at this moment, but this was said by Clive, in AD, not in BC. Do you get what I just said? In the year of our Lord, as opposed to before Christ? <laughs> if there was a God, he would impact history in an unforgettable way. You're only Clive. Thanks for telling everybody that and allowing the preacher to be able to say to people, he did, he did. I find exceedingly great joy, friends, in knowing that God does not hide himself from us, but makes himself known to us. I really, in some sense, get quite annoyed when I'm at a party and people say, oh, what do you do? I say, well, actually, I, I, I'm an Anglican minister. Um, I tell people about Jesus. Oh, I believe in God. I go, really, I wasn't taking a survey. And then the next minute, I, I'm talking to someone else. They say, I'm on a search for God. And I say, that really annoys me. Because God's not playing hide and seek. So you don't have to search for him. He showed up. He's revealed himself. He's jumped out and said, here I am. This is what I'm like. Come follow me. The life appeared, we're told here, uh, in this verse, or was revealed, and we have seen it and we testify and proclaim to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. And to add to our joy, consider the contrast here between Jesus and us. Please notice the contrast. The Bible makes very clear, as does our funeral service in the prayer book, that from dust we were formed, and to dust we shall return. Is that right? Okay. By contrast, have a look at verse 2. 
Because it makes clear that Jesus is from the Father and to the Father he returns, doesn't he? Victorious over death in resurrection. Now you might be saying, well, where's the joy in that, Nick? Jesus comes from the Father and goes to the Father. We are from the dust and to the dust we shall return. Where's the joy in that? Well, he comes and he goes by one way. We come and go by another way. Where's the joy in that? Well, when we who were created from the dust refused to love God and honour him and we rebelled against him, this is what we learn in chapter 4, verse 10, that this word of life, the eternal life, came because God is love. And God sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Now there is the joy. Jesus changes our destination. To dust we will not return, but with Jesus we will go to our Father in heaven. Now if that doesn't fill you with a sense of joy this morning, I, I, I don't know what would. And as I look around the congregation, most of you aren't far from getting it. That's a bit rude, isn't it? But let's face it, we're not, are we? And I watch people who don't have this joy keep grasping for stuff all the time. But it's those who know the joy and the promise that is in Christ Jesus. We don't have to cling or grasp. Simply trust. And a future is assured. In my experience, there is no joy in uncertainty, just panic. You want assurance for this life and the next? Here he is, the word of life and the eternal life sent out of God's love for you. Verse 3. Verse 3, we've only done two verses. Verse 3. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. Friends, this is a wonderful moment in the Bible, verse 3, and a seriously important one. Okay? Underline this verse in 2018. Because it's not one that people pay much attention to. Firstly, John is making really clear that we can have fellowship with God the Father and with the word of life, the eternal life, Jesus Christ, God's Son who loved us and gave his life up to death on a cross for us. We can have fellowship with him. But secondly... It is seriously important to realise in verse 3 that we have no access to the facts about Jesus except through the witness 
of the apostles. Our fellowship with the Father and the Son begins here in 1 John chapter 1, verse 3, with our fellowship with the apostles. The apostles have enormous authority when it comes to understanding our fellowship with God and each other. But what has all this got to do with joy? Well, it's got everything to do with joy. As John says in verse 4, we write this to make our joy complete. He wants you to come into the fellowship of Christ through the fellowship of the apostles who are the eye, ear and touch witnesses to Jesus. You don't have access to Jesus except through the apostles. If somebody wants to bring you to Jesus through any other method than the scriptures delivered to us through the apostles, which of course is what you declare in the creed, isn't it? We believe in one holy, hello, Catholic, and apostolic church. The apostles are crucial. You have no access to Jesus except through them. So whatever you do, cling to the scriptures and don't let people undermine them. What is the apostles' joy? It is Jesus Christ. It is the joy of seeing grandfathers and grandmothers, parents and siblings and friends sharing in Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus wants for us. For us to come into his joy. It's what his apostles wanted for us. It's what I want for us. And it's what you should want for others. That in a joyless world, they discover the centre of joy who is our Saviour, Jesus Christ. May God help you to help others find the joy. And may you indeed be helped by God to enjoy Him. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.